I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's game one of the World Series Rays versus Dodgers. Tyler Glass now against Clayton Kershaw. Can the Rays take down another big money, big market team? And who is the key to the series for the Rays? We'll talk to Times beat writer Mark Topkin from Arlington, Texas. And Rob Gronkowski got his first touchdown reception in nearly two years. But what was with the left-handed spike? We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, who's got the best party platters for your catering in Tampa Bay? Well, it's Mr. Empanada. What the heck is an empanada? Well, here's what you do. You take your favorite foods, you place them inside a pocket of homemade dough that is cooked perfectly until it's golden brown and piping hot. Their empanadas are a fresh twist to some old favorites. Order delicious menu items made from scratch, including soups, salads, and Cuban sandwiches online at MrEmpanada.com or call any one of the seven convenient locations in Tampa Bay. Where Latin food, quality, and service meet, it's Mr. Empanada. Hey, folks, we're going to have a uh, mailbag segment. Haven't done this for a while, and so we want you to submit your questions when you get a chance. Now, here's how you do that. Just send them to us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. That's at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'll answer anything about the Rays, the Bucks, the Lightning, USF, you name it, college football. And uh, we'll do that on Wednesday's podcast. On Thursday, we're going to have Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times to talk a little college football. And then Neil Solons, the Rays pre- and post-game host, will join us from the World Series in Arlington on Friday. All right, Mark Topkin joins us now, and it is World Series Game 1, the Rays against the Dodgers tonight. Mark, I can't get used to saying that. The Rays are in the World Series. It's only the second time in franchise history, but, boy, the way they did it uh, probably left uh, you know some Maylocks around for, for their fans a little bit, um, winning three games, then losing three, and then coming through in the clutches they did in Game 7. Just what what is the uh, – sort of the mood around this around this baseball team I mean they they sort of feel like a team of destiny in a sense and yet um I guess that you, you would still consider them in some regards uh a little bit of an underdog against another high-priced high-market team yeah Rick no doubt about it I mean living on the edge is one way to look at it and, and not doing anything easy is another and I can certainly give my personal feeling on that not making it easy and going to seven games and and uh, every game, it seems like being so tense. But look, here they are, and they are in the World Series, as you said, second time in franchise history. They're playing the only team that had a better record than them in the majors this year, the Dodgers, one of the most storied franchises in history, and yet one that hasn't won a World Series, uh, you could argue, in longer than the Rays. The Rays started in 98. The Dodgers yeah. haven't won a World Series since 88. So they've actually been looking for it longer in, in that kind of sense. Uh, run by Andrew Friedman, the former Rays. Uh, general manager, executive vice president, so uh, an obvious connection there. But, yeah, the Rays are the underdogs. I think there is a little bit of uh, – I don't know if they're going to buy into the team of destiny, but I think they feel like they're good enough to play with anybody. They certainly did during the season. Uh, they did in the postseason. It took some work, but they eliminated the Blue Jays 
They eliminated the Yankees. They eliminated the Astros. So they've run through a pretty good gauntlet to this point, uh, 12 games in 13 days. I think they needed and took a, a, a wise day off on Sunday. They traveled on Monday, worked out at Globe Life Field Monday night, got their first look at it, and see how they do. I mean, their pitching's lined up. They're rested and ready, and I think they're definitely confident. Describe for me just sort of what um, you know the situation will be there in Texas in that uh, they're still obviously not at the trop, uh, but but there will be aside from you know the difficulty of playing seven games in seven days, there will now be some days off between uh, these games. And so, what does that do in terms of just selling down the starting pitching and, and organizing the bullpen? Yeah, I think it helps in a couple ways. And that you know, as I said, and maybe it actually helps the Dodgers in a weird way more because their pitching was a little bit of a mess coming out of their uh, National League Championship Series, which also went seven games against the Braves and. Uh, concluded Sunday night with their win. So it allows the teams to kind of reset. I think it takes a little bit in a weird way off the urgency of the first two games because they, they know they can catch a breath. I think you can see Kevin Cash be as or more aggressive using his bullpen, knowing that those guys will have a reset day after the first two games. Now, if you can be more aggressive in using your bullpen than he has been uh, in pulling Snell and, and Morton the last couple of games of the ALCS, might be hard to imagine. But he can and he will, and I think you'll see him uh, have a lot of flexibility because of that. And you know, is it a benefit for uh, their starters to get the extra day's rest? I mean, it'll last now will op- open tonight with an extra day's rest. Then we'll be on regular rest. Morton will have an extra day's rest, assuming he pitches game three. So I, I think it helps the teams in, in a couple different ways uh, after, like I said, the gauntlet they went through. The race played 12 games in 13 days. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think that, uh, you know, what is what has been noticeable is that you mentioned the aggressive handling uh, of the bullpen Part of that, though, Mark, how much has been sort of precipitated by the fact that some of these starters, maybe not in the case of Charlie Morton, um, and I don't know what Snell's pitch count is but uh, in, his, in his last game, but they have been going out there, and um, particularly in the case of Snell, um, getting behind hitters, walking some guys, maybe not being able to get into the sixth inning uh, or very deep into the sixth inning. So how much of, uh, of that is by design, and, and, and is some of that on, on their starters as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all that. I don't know if it's the pitch count as much uh, at this time of year as it is just the uneasiness that they're putting guys on causes. I think in Snell's case, you know, the track record was there where he caused some uh, trouble for himself by putting guys on, by getting in that jam, and, you know, the bullpen provided the right matchups. And I think also in Morton's case, I think it was more a matter of in a lot of his starts, he's had that one bad inning. And in this Mm. case, I think Cash wanted to get out ahead of what that one bad inning was. And look, they want to know one of the guiding principles for the Rays is they limit the times their starting pitcher faces a lineup for the third time. They'll let them go yeah. through it twice. They'll face 18 batters, but they don't like to let them get into that 19th batter and on unless they are really you know, having a special kind of game or the game's been separated. If it's a tight game, there's something to that, and the numbers back it up as frustrating as it sometimes can be to watch. I mean, why would you take Charlie Morton out of that game? Well, it worked. I mean, he took Snell out the night before. It didn't work, but it didn't work because Diego Castillo didn't pitch well. Right, and and Cash has mentioned, and it was maybe you know in response to the whole Yankees uh, melee they had a couple of months ago about he's got a whole stable of guys that throw ninety eight. Mark, he's got some st- a stable of guys that could throw a hundred. I've never seen better arms, and and a lot of these guys, um, from a baseball standpoint, were were sort of given up on in some places. I mean, it's incredible how many power pitchers they have in that bullpen. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, we see velocity is, is kind of the thing all throughout baseball over the last couple of years, and it's been kind of trending in that direction. But the Rays have a combination of, of the guys, as you say, who throw incredibly hard and who have a certain pitch that's really effective for them. And, and in a lot of cases, you know, they are not the premier, premium-type guys. I mean, Nick Anderson was a guy they picked up in trade who the Twins had and, and kind of discarded, sent off to the Marlins. And, and, you know, when you look back even now, the price the Rays paid to get him from the Marlins doesn't seem that high. I mean, Jesus Sanchez could become a star, but uh, Pete Fairbanks is a guy they got from the Rangers in the trade for another guy who was kind of a spare part for them, Nick Solak. Pete Fairbanks has had two Tommy Johns, though. I mean, you don't know how long he's going to pitch, but he's pitched effectively. Diego Castillo was a guy they signed as like an 18-year-old out of the Dominican Republic, uh, you know, brought him up through their system. It took him a while to kind of get where he is. He's really effective. And, you know, you just go through that whole bullpen, but it, it's the it's the velocity and it's the talent it's the combination of looks they all do things a little bit differently there's not a lot of the same guy in that bullpen mark the story of the playoffs i think in all of baseball and certainly for the rays has been randy arazarina you wrote about him on sunday in the tampa bay times we should go back and read that on tampabay.com just an incredible story about a, a kid that whose father died left cuba you know, kind of braved uh, uh, the Gulf of Mexico in a boat to get to get to Mexico, and you know started the season. I mean, he didn't join the Rays until late August. And this kid, I call him a kid, but I mean, this young man is is setting records now for rookies in the playoffs. He has carried the Rays offensively. Oh, no doubt, Rick. I and mean, there's been some days when he has been the offense for the Rays, and and that's you know fortunate for them because some of their other hitters have really disappeared. Uh, here in the postseason and you know give them credit for the scouting give them credit for making the trade but I, I also think give them credit for being humble and realizing and, and Eric Neander the general manager said this uh in talking to him on Sunday night that they didn't expect this either I mean nobody did and, and in that piece I wrote I talked to the Cardinals people and you know they they obviously aren't going to say they they screwed up in trading him but they also didn't see this coming I mean he was a guy Randy Rosarena was a guy that a lot of athleticism a lot of raw talent. They expected him to eventually become an everyday player. And I'm, I think he not only uh, did that, but he quickly ascended to star level. Now, you know, this will even out. I don't think he's going to hit 400, hit 50 homers a year, every year of his career. But it sure was fun watching him do this in this postseason. I actually was uh, texting on Monday with Evan Longoria of the Rays, the former Rays star and, and the greatest player in franchise history, and whose record for home runs uh, that a Rosarena broke in the postseason, and he just said crazy. I mean, he didn't even have a, a good way to put it. That's been the funniest <laughs> thing about this is nobody on the Rays has been able to even, like, they don't even know what to say about how good a Rosarena is. Last <laughs> now said the one night that he's the best player on the planet. No one's been able to top that quote yet. I think that's pretty accurate. And, of course, the Rays are going to have to do better than hit 200 as a team if they're going to take down the Dodgers in the World Series. They've stuck with some guys, and why not? Their MVP, Brandon Lau, has probably struggled as much as anybody given what he did during the regular season. But have there been some signs that some of these guys may come out of it? I mean, I've seen, for example, Austin Meadows hit the ball hard. Yandy Diaz is getting on base even if he's not getting a ton of hits. So there's still some guys that that certainly uh, could come around, and they've gotten some stuff from a guy like Zanino, which maybe they didn't necessarily expect. Yeah, I mean, Mike said, you know, four homers during the regular season, four homers in the postseason. So certainly a, an upscale, an upgrade there, a benefit there for them. But, I mean, Brandon Lyle's the key guy in this. And, and you know, I think if you were going to say who who is the most pivotal player for the Rays in this 
World Series, I think you're going to have to say it's Brandon Lau because they've got nothing basically from him. I mean, he had two hits in the first round and then two hits in the next two rounds. So they, they need more out of him. Uh, you know, there have been a couple of bats where you thought, well, he looked like maybe he was right again or he took some good swings. And then he's had some at bats where he just he looks defeated almost as he gets up there. So I do think Brandon Lau is a guy they have to get more from. I understand why Cash is stuck with him. I don't think he's going to back off that now. I think you'll still see them running him out there. Although Clayton Kershaw, game one, lefty, you know, it, it could make for an interesting lineup decision. I mean, uh, the opportunities are there for some of those right-handers, and, and I think Cash is going to go with them too. So how that lineup comes out for tonight will be interesting to see. But, you know, Austin Meadows hasn't done all that much. Willie Adamas has been great defensively, but really not much offensively yet either. So I think there's a number of those guys that, you know, they, they need a couple to get going. They don't need them all to get going. And you also can't assume that Arozarena is going to stay hot. I mean, certainly there's no – a secret to him now, and, and the Dodgers are going to pitch him as carefully as probably anybody in that lineup. The Dodgers have a big payroll, as we mentioned, and big stars on their team. L.A. is a city of stars. They don't lack any of those. Tell me uh, some of the matchups and some of the players, including a, an MVP, I think, of of, uh, of the league. Well, they've got a whole bunch of guys that, that at various times are, are stars and, and award-winning type players. I mean, Cody Bellinger is a really, really good player. Uh, outfielder Corey Seager, infielder, shortstop, really, really good player, won the National League uh, Championship Series MVP. Mookie Betts, obviously a guy the Rays are familiar with, a tremendous player for the Dodgers. He, you know, his defense alone in the NLCS saved them time and time again. Mm-hmm. Uh, pitching staff, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller. You go uh, look around the bullpen, Kenley Jansen. I mean, there's just a team that, you know, even though we don't see them much and the Rays did play them, you know, four games, two and two in 2019, and we still, we don't see them much, but you know who these guys are because they're always on TV. They're always yeah. in the postseason. They're always doing incredible things. And let, I, and I mentioned that, that they have this big payroll and they have these established players that have won awards and this sort of thing, but do you see Andrew Friedman being the architect of this Dodgers team are there any commonalities, any traits, aside from the household names that maybe the Rays don't have, uh, that you see his handprint on both clubs? Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and um, in, in talking to some people on both sides of this uh, leading up to the series and some of our preview package in today's paper, in today's Tampa Bay Times, you see a lot of uh, that discussion and how Andrew Friedman did have a hand in molding both of these teams. And not alone, and that has to be pointed out. I mean, you know, he certainly wasn't alone in the work he did with the Rays, and he certainly has tons of resources with the Dodgers, but there are definitely some similarities both in philosophy and both in strategy. I mean, even though the Dodgers, you could argue, have a higher-priced talent and maybe better pedigree talent, you know, they have guys that can play all over the field. They have guys they can move from mm-hmm. position to position. They have some guys where they pinch it for them based on matchups. They have a bullpen with a lot of different looks. Uh, you know, the job that their catchers do, the shifts that they use defensively. There's a lot of things that the Dodgers do now that the Rays used to do David Price, who was with the Rays, obviously, in 08 and, and was supposed to be with the Dodgers this year until he opted out of the season. I talked with him, and he was just shaking his head that he said one of the first you know things in spring training was the Dodgers showed him their record for shifting and the hmm. different shifts that they used and what their numbers were for last year. And he said hmm. it was like looking back at how the Rays did it in 08. I mean, it was a very much of a flashback moment for him. So I, I think there are a lot of similarities. The positioning has led to great defense, and, of course, they have great – defensive players as well on the Rays. All right, so uh, let me know the keys. If if the Rays are going to win this, if they're going to take down the Dodgers, it's a seven-game series, which uh, I think will bode well for, for whoever wins it will be the best team, no doubt about that. Um, what what are going to be some of the keys for the Rays? 
Well, you know, I know we just talked about this a minute ago, but I think Brandon Lau has to get going for the Rays. I mean, they cannot count on a Rosarina and Zanino to carry them. They need a left-handed hitter to step yep. up. They need their MVP to step up. So I think Brandon Lau has to be mm-hmm. uh, the Brandon Lau that he was during the season. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to say there should be concern about Nick Anderson, but Nick Anderson the last couple times out has not been Nick Anderson the other times he's pitched. And, and you know, this is a guy mm-hmm. who – gave up, I think it was one hit to a right-hander the entire regular season, and I think he's given up five hits and two home runs to right-handers in the postseason. And again, the hitters are better, the level of intensity is different, but I do think that there's something to that, and, and I think Nick Anderson being Nick Anderson and Brandon Lau being Brandon Lau are two big keys. He's Mark Topkin. He's at the World Series, and uh, it's Rays Dodgers. What a great thing to say. It's uh, As you know, Mark, we are here in Tampa Bay are the or the city of champions, it appears. You've got the Stanley Cup with uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Rays are now in the World Series, and they got a guy named Tom Brady who is 4-2 and two anyway in this young NFL season, so a long way to How go many for wins? them. But, How many wins? Yeah, there's as many as, as the number of fingers he forgot uh, the downs were, I think. It's a, one of the best well, memes know, I've I, ever I seen. One way I've seen this World Series frame, Rick, is that the uh, the Lightning won the hockey championship and the Lakers won the basketball championship, and now it's L.A. versus Tampa Bay for the baseball championship, and that's the third bubble sport of the year. So that could be uh, the decider for sports, sports team of the year, sports city of the year. That's right. Well, and the Lakers won it in Florida. Just remember that. So, oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Don't forget it. Right over here in Orlando. Thanks, Mark. You'll read them in the Tampa Bay Times on tampabay.com. Take care, man. All right, Ricky. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And, of course, we'll recap game one and get you ready for game two on tomorrow's podcast. And a good preview there by Mark Tompkin from Arlington, Texas, where the World Series begins. Um, had a chance to uh, talk with Rob Gronkowski on the Zoom call on Monday. That was interesting. You know, Rob uh, was not available after the game. And, of course, he had kind of a breakout game. It was the most targets he had had, uh, certainly the most uh, catches and yards, I think. Got his first touchdown, Steve, in almost two years. I mean, uh, what was it, 2018? Of course, he retired for a season. Um, It was late in the year, and uh, he caught that one as well from uh, Tom Brady. Nice adjustment in this game uh, on a 12-yard pass. And, you know, the thing about Gronkowski, if you noticed, he spiked the ball with his left hand. Mm-hmm. And he's known for his spikes. Like, I mean, he plants that thing like, you know, Neil Armstrong planted the flag on the moon. I mean, he really he really likes to uh, – it's a signature sort of move for him. Uh, and so that's what was so unusual. And um, But, of course, uh, come to find out, and he had been on the injury list, he's got a bad shoulder. His right shoulder is not good. <laughs> and so – Yeah, on the Fox um, broadcast, they were talking about it, and they said, you know – he had been talking about he, you know, when when he gets that first touchdown, he's really going to let it go. And then they were mm-hmm. like, "That's like a that was like a five. I mean, that was nothing. I mean, they were you know they were commenting on the TV broadcast as well. So <laughs> yeah, he said he got some bad reviews. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, "Have you ever done that with your left arm?" He goes, "No, I've never have." But so that tells you, think about it. now. You know, this is not the first hit he's taken on that shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. So for him not to even attempt to spike the ball, which is pretty smart, actually. 
Well, um, when you see Cody Bellinger dislocate his shoulder celebrating yeah. a home run, I mean, you know. <laughs> right? That's got to stop, by the way, the whole bashing thing. Well, Somebody's and he's dislocated his shoulder before. It's not the first time. So you would think you'd be more protective of that. Yeah. In I that mean, case. if it pops out, yeah. So, but anyway, he, um, you know, he talked about that. And, 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 you know, the biggest thing is that, um, it's taken him a while to get to play himself back into shape. And I don't think people realize, you know, he had, he was done with football. I mean, the guy had 10 serious injuries, okay, since his days in Arizona um, when he was playing college football that knocked him out of games. And if you look at the list of surgeries that he's had, it's incredible. It goes all the way back uh, to back surgery. He had a herniated disc at Arizona in 09, broken left forearm with the Patriots in 2012, Fractured vertebrae and a herniated disc in 2013. A torn ACL, MCL, and concussion in 2013 was not his year, by the way. A right knee bruise in 15, hamstring strain, chest and lung contusion. That does not sound good. A herniated disc again in 2016. A thigh contusion in 2017. And a concussion in 2018. (laughs) So... Those body parts uh, were starting to heal up a little bit after his year off from football. And he said, he goes, you know, look, when I came back, like I played nine years, I knew what the grind was like, you know. But it's different. It's just different when you've been out and, you know, you've got to, you know, grind yourself back up or gear yourself back up to it. He looked tired when we talked to him. Um, he didn't have the same energy. Now, I don't know, you know, what, he, what he'd been doing or what his night was like or anything like that, but... Um, he's a beat up football player. We're in week six and Gronkowski hasn't played 16 games in like, Oh, forever. So what are the chances are he's going to make it through this season? Well, right? not, not only that, but you know, he took last season off and I don't think he ever planned to come back to football. No, he did. So not. it's not like he even tried to stay in somewhat football of a shape. football shape. No, he had no off season, right? You didn't have OTAs and team workouts in this. And yeah, you had the, you go into you know, Tampa prep and throwing the sure. ball around with Brady a little bit, but that's not football shape. I mean, that's good yeah. exercises for timing in that. But, you know, you add that all up and, and you know, what he's what, 30, 31 at this point now, age wise. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's not 22. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for him. And he, you know, he doesn't look fast at all. Um, you know, he can still catch, he can still block, he can still do, you know, run the right routes. And, and you know, he's a smart football player, but. Yeah, I mean, the physically, he's, you know, we kind of knew this, and that's where, you know, it's. I think the later the season goes on, we're going to miss O.J. Howard even more. I agree with you. You know, because, you know, you wonder how much Gronk can can stay healthy enough to keep staying on the field. And, you know, and he's, that's what O.J. was always the, you know, you didn't have to have Gronk on the field so much because O.J. would be out there. Right, and and, and even so, they and I, I was surprised by this because in September they played Gronkowski the most of anybody, like 80-something percent of the snaps, and, and O.J. was getting about 55. And I thought, wow, if you're going to take somebody off, you should try to preserve Gronkowski for the whole year. And that's when Arian said, look, I'm worried about winning games in September. I could I could give a blank about December. Well, you may not have him. And, um, again, I'm not forecasting anything. I just know what 31-year-old bodies don't get healthier uh, and feel better as the year goes on. Um, and they're going to need, here's the thing, they don't have a blocking tight end available to them. I mean, you got you got Gronk, Cam Brate, and Tanner Hudson, and Brate and Hudson are not blockers. They're not inline blockers. I mean, Brate's gotten a little better with it, but he's mm-hmm. just not. So they're going to have to get Anthony Eau back off of IR, which I think they'll be able to do here in a few weeks. But if something were to happen to, um, you know, to Rob, it would be tough. If you noticed... Um, for the first time this year, and I was calling for it, 
in that Chicago game because they went with three tight ends when they're trying to run the four-minute offense inside of three minutes and first down wins the game. Uh, they went with three tight ends, including Hudson and Brait, who aren't good blockers. They got overwhelmed on first down. But Hudson got beat. It's second and 12. They never picked up the first down. Well, this game, when they were ready to ground and pound and run out the clock, they went with Joe Haig as an extra lineman, extra tight end lineman slash whatever, right, uh-huh. inline blocker. So if you know you're just going to try to run clock and grind the game, better to use a defense, an offensive lineman against another defensive lineman than to create a mismatch, uh, which is what they did in Chicago. So they learned something from that, and Haig did a good job. And I think you're going to have to, on certain downs, I think you're going to have to you know, maybe employ a few more offensive linemen like Haig to um, to try to spell some of these tight ends that aren't mm-hmm. just they're just not very good blockers. We see teams do that all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know the Bucks haven't been one to do it too often, but I think it makes sense. Yeah, if you're in a, a typical run situation, why not? I mean, because yeah. you, you know Gronkowski is about the only tight end you have that you're comfortable blocking with. I mean, you'd rather have OJ there, but yeah, you Brayton Hudson, no, thank you. Yeah, no, I agree. They're they're more route runners, and so anyway, talking to him, he you know he talked about trying to prepare as best he can and and um you know he never knows week week to week what what the game plan is but it was clear to me that you know what's been missing from this offense we talked about the short passing and and the ability for you know um Tom to get the ball out of his hands get it in the flat get it outside that kind of stuff and not stand there and hold the ball and they can't do it with running backs i mean they did get LaShawn McCoy back Jones is still not a good receiver so they started doing it with the tight ends, and they started doing it with Kronkowski. We saw, uh, really, in the last two games, we saw a couple tight end screens. Um, you saw an ability to try to, you know, try to hit him uh, on some one on one matchups, and then he did get down the field for like a thirty one yarder, uh, which was a nice throw and catch. But uh, not much separation. He, he doesn't have the explosion that he once did, and that's that's to be expected too. But I just. I don't know how they make it through an entire season with Rob Gronkowski. That was going to be a tough chore, even if he hadn't retired. And, um, you know, those body parts right about now are barking at him, I promise you, because they only felt better because he took a year off of football. And now you're subjecting your body back to that. So that was uh, that was an interesting conversation. We talked more also with uh, Bruce Arians about the defensive effort and how Todd Bowles, you know, the story goes, he got – those guys on the sideline after the 10 to nothing deficit and said, Hey, you, you, you know, let it loose, turn it loose. What are you guys doing? You know, like you're giving him respect. He's getting at losing containment a little bit and making some plays on the run, but like, let's start playing aggressive and let's just go for it. And, and Jamal Dean set the tone with that. And from then on, they were dominant. That's as good a defensive performance as I was trying to think over a top, top team, top offensive team in the league. You've got to go back 20 something years almost I think it was Tony Dungy's first year, maybe. They were playing the Minnesota Vikings, and I think that Tony was still hunting his first win. Um, and they got the Vikings, and they beat them uh, with with their defense. And uh, the Vikings were number one. So it's, I mean, you're, you know, it's been decades. And well, that just was a, as you mentioned last night on the podcast with Eduardo, that was what his third pick six of his career. Yeah, yeah. And I think Which it, is had, it had been like three years since he threw two picks in a game. 6,200 attempts, and you know, and you thought you know, ball's going to get tipped here or there, something weird's going to happen. Mm-hmm. He had more than two, um, but yeah, that was his third one. He did not like getting hit; um, he just didn't, and no quarterback does. But particularly when they've been in the league a while, and the thing with Sue, you know that 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 got on his nerves a little bit, and um, they just got him out of his game. You know, they shut down the run. 
I mean, 10 rushes, what was it, 15 yards on 10 rushes for Aaron Jones. They did a terrific job all the way around. And, and if Todd Bowles can put that together, uh, you know, week in, week out. Now, this will be the standard. Let's see, now that they have it on tape, mm-hmm. let's see if they can take that to Las Vegas and do it against the Raiders. There's no reason why they can't. Um, but, you know, the consistency is what's hurt them. And isn't it funny, we talked about penalties all week long mm-hmm. and how it just destroyed them in Chicago. And from what I hear, Bruce Arians got in those meetings and he basically said what I hoped he would have said. And they always emphasize don't create, you know, we, we can't commit penalties. That That's a standard thing each week, but it hasn't been working. And I think what he, you know, if I listened to Devin White correctly after the game, basically B.A. told him, look, if you're out there and you commit a stupid penalty, we're not playing with you. I don't care who you are. You will not be on the field. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And and White said none of us wanted to be that guy that was going to be pulled off the field. So, you know, what happens? Zero penalties, which is such a rarity uh, in football. Well, no, no I mean, you know, you, you know stupid penalties, which is the good thing. But, you know, sometimes right. you get some of those. You know, hands to the face as you're rushing the pass rusher. It's a judgment or, call, you yeah. know, or you know, but just things that happen. I mean, sometimes you're you're trying to to Tell tackle somebody, you get the face yeah. mask and things like that. I mean, but they didn't even have any of those, which is you know, there are penalties yeah. you can accept, and then there are there are dumb ones like Ryan Jensen retaliating against somebody, right. you know, in the Chicago game, things like that. Those are the ones you that you can't stand. I mean, you know, a pass interference on a play, you're trying to break up the ball. Okay, that happens. I mean, those aren't dumb penalties per se. Yeah. Um, but they didn't even have those, which is incredible and, and great. I mean, outside of the, the what the intent or the roughing the passer penalty that got negated because of the intentional grounding. Yeah, and I don't know what was with that crew that Thursday night in Chicago. I don't. I don't think they were very good. I can't remember which one it was. I'll say this: this was the America's Game of the Week on Fox, and those guys were they were swallowing whistles, man. They were not calling <laughs> anything. I mean, I kind of like it though. You had two good football teams, right, with two iconic quarterbacks. Let's not go out here and call a holding play on every play. You know what I mean? Let's let's see who can win the game. And um, I do think that uh, I do think that the crew has a lot to do with some of the calls. Not all of them, but some of them. Obviously, the extracurricular stuff you can do without. But um, but it was it was a it was a good you know all around effort, dominant effort, and one that um, you know at four and two, everything is possible with a win over the Packers. Likely to see them again sometime. If you make it to the postseason, and if you do, um, you would have the home field advantage unless you're a wild card. So, um, you know that that's going to loom to be a very important game. I only think there's about five teams in the NFC that can win the Super Bowl, uh, and and maybe make you know make it to the championship. Two of them are in this division: New Orleans and Tampa Bay. Um, I'm I'm not really that high on New Orleans, even though they're they're certainly just you know a half game out because they had a bye week. Um, but I still think you know Drew Brees. Is still not the Drew Brees that's going to take them as far as they need to go. That's just my opinion. Uh, they'll get Michael Thomas back. But if you look at Seattle, yes. Green Bay, yes. Um, I think, you know, New Orleans and Tampa Bay. I mean, that that's it for me. Chicago will make the playoffs. They may even win the division. I don't know if Chicago is a Super Bowl team. I can't say that with Nick Foles. I know he won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. That was a really good Eagles team, and he had a quarterback about three games. Um, but I don't know that he can take them mm-hmm. with that offense and, and be, be you know, score enough points, even even as great as their defense is. I, I'm not a big believer in Chicago yet. What about the Rams or the Cardinals? Well, I, you know, they're Ky- both Kyler what, four Murray, and two, I think. They're both four and two. They, they haven't played a, a ton of great teams yet. Um, mm-hmm. The Rams just got beat, in fact, 
um, which I thought, you know, was, you know, kind of a kind of a surprise in terms of I thought they'd be more competitive this week. Um, but but I, I, I mean, you know, two years ago, what was the Rams were 13 and three. I'm not a big Jared Goff guy. They got some weapons on offense. Their offensive line is still kind of a mess. Um, certainly, you know, Sean McVay's great. Well, we'll see. They play, you know, they play at Raymond James Stadium. We're going to see the Rams. Um, you know, maybe that game gets flexed. Maybe it doesn't. But um, I, I, I think out of that division, you know, the team that has the great defense, if they ever get their act together and they won on Sunday, is San Francisco. You know, the they've 49ers, been decimated by injuries. But they've been wiped out. They've been wiped out. They're not the same team. There's really not much they can do because a lot of those guys are out for the season. Um, as I watch, you know, the Cardinals just obliterate the Cowboys. By the way, what up with the Cowboys, man? I know they lost their quarterback. I know, but they weren't good before that. Well, no, they they have a lot more issues than, than <laughs> oh Dak being God. out. I mean, that's a big that's a big part, and he he can hide a lot of problems. Yeah, but yeah, they're they're a mess. Is and including including being down twenty eight to three in the second half and kicking a fifty eight yard field goal. Yeah, that's and that they missed it. No by good. The way. Even if you made it, it doesn't do you any good. But their defense is horrific. They're terrible. They can't stop and can't cover anybody. And um, they've been bad. So. But you also got to remember it's Andy Dalton on prime time, which means he's you know Andy Dalton's a good quarterback except when it comes to prime time games. Yeah, I don't get that either. Yeah, he's never done well in the Sunday night Monday night uh, playoff game. Right. This was not the debut that he needed. No. East Lake's Mason Cole playing center for the Cardinals. For those of you locally that remember him, teammate of my sons, former Michigan no, center. I remember him well. at Michigan, absolutely. Yeah. He played all five positions. I was going to say, he played everywhere. He didn't just play center. Yeah. He played left tackle, right tackle, guard yep. center, yeah, all that. Was a center for Jim Harbaugh. But speaking so, of that, how about, how about Tom Brady? After the game, talking to John Runyon Jr., who's a uh, rookie yeah. lineman for the Packers, who Brady played with his dad at Michigan. He talked about that with Jim <laughs> Gray on Monday Night Football. Yeah, he said it was really, you know, everybody's like, well, you're so old. He goes, he goes I, I, I can't, I got to be honest with you guys, I don't really think of it that way. He goes, I, when I think about myself still playing, you know, 20, 21 years or whatever it's been, he goes, it's like, I just feel so blessed. So, but he is playing against guys now, you know, the sons of, of that. John Runyon was his was his roommate mm-hmm. at Michigan one one spring uh, when he first got there in ninety five nineteen ninety five he was at Michigan. Good gracious! I mean, it's it's unbelievable how long Tom Brady's been playing football at a high level, but um, he's still doing it and he's still slinging it, and his arm still looks great. Um, I do wonder though, and I was talking, I was on, I was on Dan Patrick on. Uh, I'm going to drop names now, Steve. I was on Dan, Dan Hold on, Patrick. Hold on, let me pick that up for you. Yep, you want to get that one? Uh, on uh, on Monday because you know Tom Brady, and um, I, I got to thinking like this defense may be good enough to carry Tom Brady to the Super Bowl. That's right. What did I just say? They could carry Tom Brady <laughs> to the Super Bowl. Doesn't that sound strange? Like, but think about yeah, it. But, but mean, we said that about Peyton Manning, and it sounded strange then too. And it worked. Granted, I mean, we knew. That, I mean, he was coming off a of back surgery, so that was. Yeah, I mean, his skill set were not is was not where Brady was. Although his first couple of years there, you know, he lit yeah. it up. Oh, that yeah, he did. But at the end, it was after the neck surgery and oh, several years after passenger. that, he was. Yeah. yeah, but but he man, you know, he had set the tone. Um, you know, the the team didn't kill itself, didn't make mistakes, and they were defense driven. 
And I'm thinking, could you have a better game manager than Tom Brady? And again, he's going to make plays. I get it. I'm not suggesting he's Brad Johnson or anything. And I like Brad. And Brad won the Super Bowl, only quarterback to win a Super Bowl here. But, you know, if you just play field position, if you let the defense give you good field position, if you don't turn it over, if you don't turn it over as an offense and you score in the red zone, and they've been scoring at a high level in the red zone, you win. You that was a Super Bowl defensive performance. If they play like that, they'll beat anybody in the NFL. They just will because they have all the pieces. Yeah, I mean, you know, that back end has grown up a lot faster and better than I anticipated. Really good, really I mean, good. You know, Carlton Davis. We you know we saw last year becoming really good. Jamel Dean showed some flashes, but I mean, as a whole, yeah, that unit's still extremely young, but playing mm. very very well. And they dropped two touch. You know they dropped two interceptions. Mm-hmm. Winfield dropped one, mm-hmm. and Carlton Davis dropped. By one. the way, I really like Winfield. He's a great player. I loved watching his dad. When I was in Minnesota, he was a cornerback up there, and, and that was when that was when he was dominating the league as a cornerback for a couple yep. of seasons. And he was, and I see so much of that in Antoine Winfield Jr. Just the Winfield. same drive and competitiveness and instincts. Mm-hmm. The instincts are what you notice quickly about him. Always around the ball, always assignment ready, and. When he went out of the game, he actually had to leave the game for a play. That was the play that Mike Edwards made the interception. So how's that for depth, right? Carlton mm-hmm. Davis tips the ball up. Edwards catches it, runs it back to the two. Boom, boom, two quick touchdowns. And that's that's what the good defenses do. They don't just take the ball away. They score, and they set up scores. And, you know, they made they, they turned that game around from 10 nothing. Brady had three plays in the first quarter. It was 20 plays to three at one point. They went three and out, and then the Packers were controlling everything, and that's how quickly it, it happened, and that was reminiscent of the old days and the old Bucks. So, um, but I just wonder, like, can, you know, could Brady dial not dial it back, but like, you know, and he's never been a high turnover volume guy anyway. But um, if they can avoid, see, I think their identity is now beginning to form on offense. You know, what do they do well on offense? They run Ronald Jones. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They run Ronald Jones, three straight 100-yard games. He's third in the league in rushing right now. Do you know that? Behind Derrick Henry and um, uh, Minnesota. Uh, who's the guy from Minnesota, from Florida State? Dalvin uh, Cook. Dalvin Cook. And he's third. Wow. In the league already. Yeah. So, you know, I saw where uh, Leonard Fournette, you see what he uh, tweeted out? So, basically, Arians, when he was asked this question, because, you know, Fournette dressed against Chicago. He didn't play. He was kind of an emergency guy. And then, but he he was inactive on Sunday. He w- he was inactive, and so we asked Arians about it, and he said, "Listen, he goes, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that he has a bad ankle, and if we play him, we had three running backs that were healthy, he could be out for four weeks." Well, Fournette normally would take offense to that, and so he tweeted out something like, "You know, in my younger days, I'd have had a big problem with this, but I know that coach just is, you know, trying to take care of me." And then he then he applauded Ronald Jones, you know, for for basically being the man, you know, like you know he knows. I think it's been established now. You know, Ronald Jones is RB one. Uh, mm-hmm. Leonard Fournette is not going to take that job. That doesn't mean he's not going to play a huge role. Mm-hmm. And it's a long season, and running backs get hurt. Uh, and he has a hundred yard game to his credit already as well. But imagine when they get him and Jones going, and Shady McCoy, um, if those guys can stay healthy. And Vaughn looked pretty good in in the fourth quarter running the football. Um, and so really it's a little like the Rays. you know how you get to the sixth inning and if you don't have the lead, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. They just don't, they just nail it down. If you get to the fourth quarter and they can run the football, 
you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble with the Bucks. It's a three quarter game. It really is. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, there, so you, coaches always talk about complimentary football, and, yeah, and with Tom Brady at quarterback, and a defense now that's making plays and being aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, and the defense is helped by Brady because Brady doesn't leave them in bad field position all the time. He does not turn it over, right? He's not turning it over, and you know, usually they're productive and moving down the field, and mm-hmm. so you know, you're not you're not sitting there guarding short fields all the time. No, so it allows your defense to be more aggressive and to play that complimentary football because you've got a quarterback you trust. That's right. Um, and, and, and you know, you know, you can rely on even if you make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not sitting there going, "Oh crap, we're already out of this game," or you're worried about it. I mean, you've got the goat there, right? So it allows your defense to play with more confidence because even if you make a mistake, you're not, you, you don't feel like, "Oh crap, this is going to pile up on us now." Mm-hmm. That's what that's what Tom Brady gives you at that quarterback position, and and he's helping the defense in that way. And 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 look, they're helping him. You know, they they completely took the momentum of that game. Oh, and it went sure. from you know ten down ten nothing running three plays to up fourteen ten like that, and and that was almost the ball game at that point. Yeah, I mean Brady threw for one hundred sixty six yards. He had a hundred rating, but this was like not a game of of high yard. Now, you know they had about a sixty yard pass interference penalty. That, you know if he hits that, mm-hmm. obviously his numbers are much better, um, and he was efficient. But uh, no interceptions was the thing. And if he, you know, and that's going to be the key. I mean, he's going to get red zone opportunities, and they score all the time. Found Tyler Johnson for one, which was really nice to see. So you know now he's thrown you know even more touchdowns to just about everybody on this team. So I like what they did, and I, and I mean if they can't carry this confidence into John Gruden in Las Vegas uh, against the Raiders, you know the two things John Gruden probably wants re- uh, wants to avenge the most, and the two biggest nightmares of his career, of his life probably in football life are coming in the same package on Sunday night. It's Tom Brady, the tuck rule game. Remember when mm-hmm. he was with the Raiders, and that mm-hmm. changed history. Because if they win that game, they're going to go probably go to the Super Bowl, and and John Gruden maybe never coaches the Bucks, and then the Bucks who fired him, you know, which he's never gotten over. He leveraged them for the job to get back to to the Raiders, but he's never gotten over the fact that the Bucks fired him with three years left on his deal, and he had won them a Super Bowl as a statue in their in their building. So those two those two things are coming to Las Vegas, uh, and it can either be you know the greatest night of his life or or reliving <laughs> reliving two of the worst. You know, I mean he just you know he, I know John and I know how emotional he is. It's going to be real emotional for him, and he'll talk about. It. I can't wait to hear him on the conference. How we get on the conference? Not two times. Yeah, uh, you're with me, man. All I can say it's emotional. Okay, I mean it's that's emotional time for me. I, I don't want to talk about it, but um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I look forward to seeing them. Look forward to seeing the stadium out there. So, be headed out to Las Vegas uh, coming up on uh, on Sunday. Sunday night football followed by Monday night football followed by Sunday night football. I got the Raiders, the Giants on the road, and then the Saints at home. By the time they get, if they beat and they should be favored, if they beat the Raiders and the Giants, they're six and two. Steve coming home to play a Sunday night game against the Saints. Is that any good? I'll take that. <laughs> take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Even if you're five a, and three going into that game. But that's a big game. Oh, absolutely it is. That's a, that, that, those are the big time games that uh, fans want a chance to see. And um, hopefully, you know, they had about 15,000, almost 16,000 in the house the other day. Who knows? Maybe they'll be able to get more, maybe less. But, but what um, you're really telling me is we've got some late podcasts coming up. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, we do anyway. Yeah, with we the, World the World Series, too. <laughs> those Holy 8 crap. o'clock starts, those games aren't going to end after midnight. <sighs> yeah, folks, I hope you enjoy this podcast. We're working really hard putting in some late hours doing this <laughs> stuff for you guys, just for you, you people. As my friend Steve Dooman would say, you freaking people. <laughs> um, but um, God, but how anyway. much would he be loving all this? Oh my gosh! I mean, oh my the Lightning gosh. win the Stanley Cup, the Rays are in the World Series, and Tom Brady's leading the Bucks in their form. He two. wouldn't believe it. He wouldn't know what to. He'd be beside him. He wouldn't know what to. I mean, and the Rowdies were in the Final Four of the USL as well. I mean, I know. Don't put it past all three teams. By the way, I'm just saying. And you know I called the World Series, right? You did. Before you jumped off and then jumped back on again. But you I, know. I, but I'm I, not going to let well, you forget that. But <laughs> well, it, was only, it was only when they lost five in a row. What in a 60-game schedule. That's like, you know, like, like yeah. 13 or 14 in a row in a regular season. They almost took themselves right out of it. Like, yeah, but then right you go away. 19 and four, and that helps. Yeah. No, I broke ankles, but I was back on it, man, before I was off it. Anyway, um, Good Can't wait for, for game one tonight. Yeah, I know. It's exciting. It's hard to believe. I mean, I remember I mean, 08 doesn't seem that long ago to me. I know it has been, but um, but man. The, see, the difference is I think back then that team was happy to be there. No one expected it. They went from like losing 100 to mm-hmm. boom, you're in the World Series. I mean, that was such a turnaround, right? Worst to first. This year, this team has built up to it each year, right? They they, they got further and further. They won 90-something games. They, they probably – should have beat the Astros in the ALDS last year. Um, who knows if cheating went on, whatever. And they've expected this. They expected mm-hmm. it before the pandemic. They expected it when they went 40 and 20. They expected it when they got to the playoffs. And here they are. And I think that's the difference. And the Dodgers mm-hmm. face an immense amount of pressure because they haven't won a World Series since 1988. Well, and this is their third World Series in the last four years. And Dave in Roberts already put four. the pressure on him. said, this is our year. This is our year. Well, he's fired if they don't win. I mean, he'd have been fired if they lost to the Braves too. But um, yeah, this is this has to be their year, and and I think you're coming from a position of strength if you're mm-hmm. the Rays because once again, you're the underdogs. Yep. Right. Well, and and while a lot of baseball fans and maybe some of the national media believe this is a Cinderella story or whatever else, this is the what only the fourth time in the wild card era that the top two teams in each league advanced. Right. I mean, the Rays were the top team in the American League, and the only team that had a better record than them. In the, baseball? The Dodgers. The Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, as much as yeah. people want to sit there and say, you know, because of the payroll, whatever else, that this is a Cinderella story and nope. beating the Yankees and Astros. No. I mean, they were the best team in the American League this season, and they proved it in the postseason as well. Yeah. And that's why you have the two best teams in baseball playing in the World Series, which is really cool. That's not always the case. And wouldn't have been, I think, if Houston had won. So, exciting game one. We look forward to that. Hey, and uh, folks, just remember, if uh, you're going to have all these parties now because of the World Series and because of the Bucks playing on Sunday night, go see our friends at Mr. Empanada. Um, if you don't know what an empanada is, please try it. I mean, it is just think of your favorite food. They put it in a pocket of homemade dough that's cooked just golden brown. It's delicious. And you can order menu items uh, from scratch. It includes soup, salads, and Cuban sandwiches. Online at MrEmpanada.com or call any of their seven convenient locations where Latin food, quality, and service meet. It's Mr. Empanada. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 